The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia, with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Last Monday, a man healthy and strong, picture of health, about 52 years of age, a dear precious friend. We had scheduled to have dinner with them at their home. And he had a, a cerebral hemorrhage and was gone. We're going to miss Stan Rawlinson. I've known Stan for well over 20 years. And been a friend for most of those years. Death comes calling. It's very painful. When you hold a loved one in your arms. And their life slowly ebbs away. They take their last breath. all you can do is weep because they're gone and they don't come back well they may come back in dreams but that's not them that's your memory 
They're gone. And if they're a follower of Jesus, you comfort yourself with the certainty that in the day of the resurrection, they will come forth. But it's still hard. There's nothing easy about losing a wife or a brother or a husband. And you're never quite the same. Tony is devastated by Stan's departure. She rattles around the house and doesn't know what to do with it. They'd planned a vacation this summer in Tuscany. They'd planned to take one last tour on the big Harley Davidson and go up through Wyoming. All of that's canceled now. He's gone. There was another man. He had two sisters. Mary and Martha. He grew sick. They immediately sent word to Jesus who was about 40 miles north of where they were located in Bethany. The one you love is sick. And they knew he would come and heal him because Jesus was the miracle worker. He was the healer. They had all been touched mightily by the hand of Jesus. Mary had had demons cast out of her. She'd been restored. She'd been healed. The one you love is sick. John, the 11th chapter. But Jesus didn't come. And Lazarus died. And they had to wrap his body and place it in a tomb. It was over. They had lost all hope. But about a year ago, a year this coming March, I was in Israel. And I went to what they recognized as the tomb of Jesus. I was able to be by myself. Everyone else in the party, there were a party of about six of us. I was able to go into the tomb by myself. I stood there and I looked at that slab where they had laid Jesus out. Where they had wrapped his body prepared him for the final resting place in the tomb. They loved him. With tears and anguish, they laid his body there. Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus. I stood there and I I looked and I couldn't find Jesus. 
And all I could say was, and I began to shout it through my tears, he is risen, he is risen. And with that, others began to flood into the tomb with me. It was a small tomb, couldn't handle very many people, but all six of us got in there. And they all started saying with me, he is risen. Do you understand how radical that is? If you've ever stood at the coffin of a loved one, you know it's over. You know they're gone. And you won't see them again until the day of the resurrection or the day of judgment when you both go to hell. Jesus was risen. The most radical thing in all of history. Jesus was risen. Now tonight, this is a revival meeting, but I'm not here tonight to talk to you about sin. We all know sin brings death. I want to talk to you about something much more basic and necessary. You cannot repent of your sin if you do not believe that Jesus is risen. You must know that Jesus arose from the tomb against all odds. The devil thought he had Jesus entrapped in that tomb and that he had won at the cross. But Satan had not won at the cross. This was the titanic battle of the ages, the most vital and important thing that has ever happened in the history of the universe. God could not be kept in that grave. He came forth in power and in glory. And until we begin to believe and know that Jesus cannot be kept in a tomb, we'll not repent of our sin. There has to be a burning in our hearts, that we know that death does not hold victory over us because we believe in Jesus' resurrection. It is the resurrection. It is the most important thing in the history of the universe that Satan could not hold him. He broke the bonds. He burst out of that tomb. He did not even need to remove the stone. The only reason the stone was removed was that the disciples needed to be able to enter the tomb and see the garments folded and to see that the tomb was empty. So the angel rolled the the stone away. Jesus could just walk through the stone. He walked through the door that was closed with the upper room. Do you hear what I'm saying? There is nothing that can contain or stop the power of Jesus Christ. He is almighty. He is God. He is the power of the universe. He is the one who created it. He is the one who holds it together. He could not be contained by the devil. Now, please hear me. You cannot be contained by the devil either. 
And you've got to understand when we begin to talk about revival, it means to be brought back to life. Sometimes I think the church doesn't need revival. Sometimes I think the church just needs plain resurrection. Because the devil can't hold the church down. Now he's infiltrated the church even even as Israel was infiltrated by the enemies in Moab and caused Israelites to sin against God and brought judgment on the children of Israel. And the enemy has infiltrated the church as well. False theology, false doctrine. Teaching that the blood of Jesus Christ does not have the power to set a man free of sin. That we're going to have to sin until we die. Making death our savior, not Jesus and his blood. I want to tell you that's a false doctrine. Nothing can contain or hold our savior down. Not even your sin. He sets us free. He is the mighty one. There is no addiction. There is no habit. There are no circumstances. There is nothing in this world that can stop Jesus from rescuing a person who wants to be rescued. He is the almighty one. There can be no revival in the church until we begin to lift up the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and recognize that in the blood is the coinage of heaven. The blood paid it all. The blood covered it all. The blood sets us free. So when I look at this story, I have to begin to ask myself questions. In verse 14, he tells the disciples, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. Now let's go to him. This whole issue hangs on whether or not we believe that Jesus has the power To free us from every ensnarement, every trap. That the blood of Jesus has the power to burst the bonds. He is the power of the universe. And we've got to get that in our heart. We've got to begin to chew on that. We've got to begin to understand that. That sickness cannot hold him back. That sin cannot hold him back. That old habits, that old bondages, recriminations from the past and condemnation of our conscience. Nothing can stop the blood of Jesus from flowing and healing us and restoring us. This is fundamental to any beginning of revival. We have to know this about Jesus. We've got to put our confidence in him. Now, when you face a severe financial crisis and you see that there is no possible way of deliverance, when you are faced with a a critical, you have cancer. 
death sentence. When you are faced with an addiction, you can't break it. When you're confronted with an addiction to pornography or to alcohol or to drugs, when you're confronted by some impossible thing, you've got to know that the power of Jesus is enough. That he can break that thing and set you free. I am not a slave of Satan. I am a servant of Jesus Christ. Are you? Do you choose Jesus and lay aside the wall of impossibility? You know, we're very mechanical people. We think everything is mechanical. Our cell phone, our internet, all of our techie toys. Let me be clear. Jesus knows all about technology. But his power goes way beyond any technology we've even imagined. He can give a man a clear mind. He can give a man a clean heart. He can remove from a man all of the stain and guilt of the past. Now, I don't know about you, but I can tell you tonight. There are some things in my heart that have caused me a great deal of pain, loss of loved ones, serious errors in judgment on my part, all kinds of things that I wish had never taken place. I wish I could have been able to avoid that. And if I let myself, I could get quite depressed and discouraged about those foolish things that I've done. Any of you done any foolish things? Yes. I'm glad to see you're all like me. Now I want to tell you, I can let those condemnations roll in on me, or I can say with Paul, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So all of the sorrows of the past do not need to control my present or my future. I've heard so many times in training, the past predicts the future. My past does not predict my future. What predicts my future is the blood of Jesus. I'm not controlled by my past. I died. I'm a new man in Christ Jesus. So I don't need to walk in the condemnation of the foolishness of my heart in the years past. I don't have to go there. I can. And I've had calls from people on the radio and they'll say, Pastor, I'm so depressed. I can't even get up. I can't function. I'm so depressed. And I say to them, well, what are you angry about? I'm angry about everything. Well, are you willing to forgive yourself? And are you willing to forgive them? Are you kidding me, pastor? I want to kill them. Well, okay, be depressed. 
You'll never be free of the depression until you let go of the past and put it under the blood of Jesus and choose to serve him now in fullness and power. So, Lazarus is dead. Jesus specializes in calling things that are dead as though they were alive. Jesus is not into dead. He's into life. He came that we might have life and that more abundantly, right? He didn't come so we could die and be in death more abundantly. He didn't come to make it hard for us to live. Jesus is not a hard man. It's not hard to be a Christian. It's hard not to be a Christian. The walk with Jesus is not a long, painful walk. With the devil, it's a long, painful walk. It's waking up hungover. It's lying, it's cheating, it's stealing. Not so with Jesus. You wake up in the morning with Jesus and there's a song of praise on your lips. You begin to glorify his name. Now I tell you, I woke up from a dream this morning. I won't tell you what the dream was, it doesn't matter. But I woke up in the early hours of the morning when it was still dark. And because of that dream, fear gripped my heart. You know what I did? I immediately turned to Jesus and I said, Lord God, fear is of the devil. I am not of the devil. I am of you, Jesus. And I praise you and I worship you. And I began to just sing the praises of Jesus quietly so I wouldn't wake my sweetheart. I had to go to another part of the house because I knew she'd wake up. I began to just praise him. And you know what happened to the fear? It evaporated like the darkness of night as the sun comes up. Amen. So tonight I wonder, do you have anything in your life that tells you it's over? You're cooked. It's done. You can't make it. It's impossible. You know what God has called you to do. You can't do it. The money's not there. The energy's not there. The strategy's not right. Everything's impossible. No, it's not. No, it's not. Jesus specializes in the impossible. That's who he is. And the most glorious thing I know is to come and sit in his presence and worship him. To sing songs to him. And you know what? I sing like a bullfrog. But when I'm in the presence of Jesus, I sing to him. And I say, Jesus, whatever you hear, it's your fault because you made my voice. So please let it be a sweet sounding in your ear because I'm singing to you because I love you. You first loved me and now I love you.
sometimes we get so nailed down. We get so cemented in to our own grumbling opinions and our own complaints and our own anger. We get so cemented into our hopelessness. We've got to know that revival only comes when the name of Jesus begins to be lifted up and we begin to see and understand that there is a door opening before us into glory. And we begin to enter into that door, Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So as we begin to enter into that door, the glorious presence of Jesus begins to surround us. And we can see. And the sweet aroma of Jesus then begins to flow from us. You know what? I don't want the stench of the devil coming off me. I want the sweet aroma of Jesus. I'm here tonight because God has commissioned me to spend the rest of my life full time in the work of revival. But I know that simply by talking about sin and repentance will not bring revival. What brings revival is the kindness and the love of Jesus Christ. And as we begin to understand that incredible love, there begins to arise in our heart a longing to be free of our sin. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And as we begin to understand that incredible kindness and what he paid for us, we say, wow, I never knew love like that. Has anybody ever loved you like Jesus loves you? No. And it's not mushy, sentimental love. It's tough love. It's real love. It's something you can stand on. And you know it's real. Now, to give you a perspective, Thomas, and I, by the way, love Thomas. They call him the doubting disciple. I don't. I call him the real Thomas. He says, look, guys, let's go with him to Galilee. We might as well, or to Judea. We might as well go and die with him. I love a contrarian. Contrarians have a special place in God's heart. Because when everybody says, oh, we can't do that, the contrarian says, yeah, we can, but we'll die. So let's go die with him. Oh, did Jesus know that Thomas loved him? Okay, Jesus, we'll go with you. We'll die with you. Do you understand? You don't die when you go with Jesus. You live. You come alive. I look at this church, 400 seats in this auditorium. A little handful of us here tonight. Am I discouraged by that? Are you kidding me? You're just the seed that's being planted. 
Soon you're going to see a whole crowd of people coming because why? They want to know about Jesus. They want to know about Jesus. They want to repent of their sins. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's beginning to put a fire in their heart that says, I need the blessing of Jesus on my life. I need to be healed of my sickness. I need to be restored. I won't steal my my sweetheart's thunder, but which is easier to say? To be forgiven or to be healed? Oh, Jesus is magnificent. Jesus comes and Martha goes out to meet him. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And now her theology kicks in. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. How I wish she'd had the courage to say, wait a minute, Jesus, are you telling me you're going to raise my brother from the dead? Would you do that now? She didn't say that. She just went to her theology. She was in pain. She was in unbelief. And Jesus says something that I have circled in orange and and highlighted in yellow. I am the resurrection and the life. You know, I am is the verb to be. Present tense. I am. He is always the resurrection and the life. Jesus is always in the present as the resurrection and the life. Even though he dies, Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Well, then he has the same conversation with Mary. But you find in verse 35 the shortest scripture in all of the Bible. Can you quote it with me? Jesus wept. Why would Jesus weep when he knew that in a moment he was going to resurrect Lazarus? Why would he weep? Because he saw the unbelief and he saw the sadness and the sorrow. He sympathized with them. He felt their affliction. So please, tonight, some of you may be carrying a boatload of hurt in your heart over a whole variety of issues. Jesus weeps with you. He's right there with you. But he doesn't stand weeping very long because now he moves on and he says, take away the stone. And they say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. He stinks. He's been in there four days. Now, can I just say this plainly? Some of us have had some real stinky things in our lives. And some of you tonight may still have some very stinky things in your life that you would rather keep buried. First thing that happens when you come to Jesus is he says, okay, guys, 
Let's get the tomb open. And you're saying, oh, no, I can't confess that. That stinks too much. I can't go there. Let me just be pretty on the outside, a whitewashed tomb. Jesus says, no, let's go into the inside of where you're hurting. Let's go into the mess you've created for yourself. Take away the stone. Oh, he stinks. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know you always hear me. But I've said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Tonight, I want you to believe. I want you to believe that the Father sent Jesus to pull us out of our tombs. That means to be washed of our sin and to be healed in our bodies. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Oh, if he had not said Lazarus, all of the dead people all around would have been leaping out of their tombs. And there is a day coming when Jesus is going to say, come out. And every man and every woman is going to come out of their tomb. And he's going to separate them. Goats on one side, the sheep on the other side. And the goats he sends to fire. And the lambs he takes to heaven. So I've got to ask you tonight, are you more a goat or are you more a lamb? Do you go around butting people? Do you go around acting like a goat? Or are you a lamb? He's going to separate the lambs and the goats. I don't want a goat personality. I want to be a lamb of God. Lazarus came forth. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Here's where the church comes in. It's dirty business taking off grave clothes. Stinky grave clothes. That's the job of the church. To take the stench and the stink away from the new person who's repented of their sin. And said, Jesus, I'll accept you. I will love you. I will serve you. I will die for you. Okay, let's get them cleaned up. Let's take care of the past. Let's show them love and kindness and mercy. Let's be generous. Let's not be critical. Let's not be judgmental. Let's call them straight. You have to leave the grave clothes behind. Some people I see come out of the tomb and they want to keep their grave clothes as souvenirs. Oh, Jesus won't mind if I keep sinning this way. It's just a little thing. Oh, yes, he does mind. He wants you clean. 
Now, I want you to see one other thing before I close tonight. This miracle did not happen because Mary and Martha asked for it to happen for their benefit. You see, Lazarus was the moneymaker. He was their support. The promises of God are not first and foremost that we could prosper in this world. Will God help a businessman succeed in his business? Yes, but that's not his primary concern. His primary concern is, will you believe in him? Will you serve him and trust him? Will you rely on him? Will you let him finish the job of cleaning you up? None of us are finished with the cleanup when we are converted. We stop sinning. We're made into new creatures. But we still have some old habits. And those things have to be cleaned up. And they have to be broken. They have to be washed away. I fear that many Christians have more of a wolf nature, a goat nature, than a lamb nature. You hear them yelling and screaming at their wife or their kids or their husband. You hear them squabbling and fighting. You hear them maneuvering. Paul spoke to the Corinthian church and rebuked them for saying, No, I follow Paul. I follow Silas. I follow. I, 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 I. He said, Stop it. Stop it. We follow Jesus. Now, were they Christians? Were they converted? Yes. Had they left their sin? Yes. Were they made into new creatures? Yes. But they were still immature and they had to grow up. They still had vestiges of the old habits and patterns of behavior. This had to be ripped out, they had to be replaced. Every area has to be surrendered totally to Jesus. You don't do all of that when you're converted. You can, but most don't. We have to grow up. A Christian wife, totally converted, totally given over to Jesus, may at times have a very sharp tongue. And Jesus wants to file that sharp tongue down. Or a man may come to Jesus and say, I'll serve Jesus. Until his kids start acting up and he goes ballistic on them. That man's got to be filed down. He's too big. He's got to be reduced in size before Jesus. The miracles of God are not first and foremost for our comfort. They are first and foremost that we may believe that he is the Christ and we may put our confidence in his shed blood It is for us to know 
and to believe in the power of the blood of Jesus Christ to deliver us from all sin and all wrongdoing and to make us into beautiful, beautiful people filled with the love of God and the Holy Spirit, saved, sanctified, and baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's what he wants. Saved, sanctified, baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now tonight, please may I say it again and be very plain with you. Jesus wants you to put your faith in him. All revival begins in believing that Jesus is who he says he is. And we decide that we are going to serve him utterly and completely with no complaints. No attitude. We're going to say, yes, Jesus, you said it, I believe it, I'll do it. By your power and by your blood. It takes transformed people to transform a church. It takes the power of the blood of Jesus to transform a person. I know that first and foremost on the heart of Jesus is to save his church. He wants to save his church through men and women who will believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. Do you believe that? And are you willing to put all of your weight down in the belief That you can be both saved from your sin and healed of your sickness. If you believe that, you should be rejoicing. Because you know you are loved. Dark waters lay before them, dark forces came behind. To the left and right, the desert brought panic to their minds. The evil of that hour was stronger than the sun that beat on them with nowhere left to run. The chariots of Egypt drew nearer as they cried. Yet Moses stood there calmly with a fearless faith inside. He said there is a power far greater than the sword. Stand still and you will witness a mighty salvation from our Lord. 
Temptation came beside me And it told its finest lies Making all the darker pleasures So pleasant to my eyes I knew a lack of praise Had led me to that hour Standing there surrounded by sin's power Yet the terror of those moments Began to fade away As my heart recalled God's mercies Are all new every day And my spirit took its armor As my lips took up the sword The light broke through the darkness A mighty salvation from our RevivalNow.Church Revival in Woodbridge RevivalNow.Church Revival in Woodbridge RevivalNow.Church Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come join us at NationalPrayerChapel.com or our sister website, RevivalNow.Church God bless you. We love you.